This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagull follows the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. You can pair up if you like and you can fucking pick someone else to help you and you can bring your fucking dinner. Oh, a magnificent goal from Darren Huckabee! Now, you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh he No! Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin. Will he score Series 9, Episode 4? I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, as always, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And the man who is to Quickly Kevin, what Pat Sharp is to Funhouse. And in this analogy, Josh and I are the twins. Please welcome Michael Mod. Hello. How are we? Good. I'm going to start today because we've got no place to do this feature. So I'm just going to start the show by talking about it. Uh, I just need to tell you this, that I went into a... You might know this shop, actually, Skull. So I was working at BT Sport near your hallowed turf. Yeah, near the home of football, yeah. Near the home of football, yeah. And um, we were killing time. We walked past a little shop on a bridge that sells, like, retro clothing. Mainly, like, you know, a Miami Dolphin sweatshirt. Stuff like that. So I was with Crane, and we went in. And um, it was almost, I'd say, 95% exclusive old... American football jumpers and t-shirts and jackets and stuff, yeah? Okay. Apart from one t-shirt, which I had to buy <laughs> because I couldn't believe it existed and that it's survived for 30 years. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, no wow. way. Isn't that wow. amazing? Do you want to describe what you're seeing there? Oh, my God. It looks like two playing cards and the, the, the title is Dorigo. England's number three. Yeah. It's a Chelsea-era Dorigo, too. I think it must be a, a knockoff T-shirt that was sold outside of Chelsea. Yeah. It's extra large. I don't <laughs> like... So it's not even like a kid that it's being bought for. <laughs> if I saw someone wearing that T-shirt, I would be like, fair play. Because well, that is it, sensational. It needs bringing in, I'll be honest with you, but I'm sure you can get a tailor, <laughs> get a tailor to bring it in. I'm going to get someone to bring that in. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to get it brought in. I think I will wear that for the show at the Lowry we've got yeah, early next it's year. It's so good, isn't it? It is so good. It is the greatest T-shirt I think I've ever seen. I couldn't believe my eyes. Oh, How that is, is it? great. I'd love to know the story of the last 30 years of that T-shirt. Do you know what, as well, like, how how has someone ha- hung on to that T-shirt until it's become quite kitsch and cool? Like, because there's at least 30 years 
where someone has consistently resisted the temptation to bin it before yeah. it's become cool. Do you think it's become cool? Would you yeah, wear it on a, so. Would you wear it on a night out? Yeah, I actually would. With a jacket over the top. With a, <laughs> with a done up jacket. Just in case. With a jumper and a jacket. <laughs> okay. Shall we do the 90s clock news? Well, this week, instead, I thought that instead of the 90s clock news, we could do that this new feature, which I'm calling Roberto Baggio was shit. Roberto Baggio, the saviour of Italy throughout this tournament. He's missed it! And Brazil win the World Cup! Shit! Right, so. Um, this got you in a lot of trouble last time you tried to do this feature, didn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it did. I have to say, most people disagree with me, but that's not going to deter me because all I'm doing is presenting facts. I leave it up to everyone else to yeah. use their judgment. 1994, Baggio, Blonda or runner-up, 17 league goals in 32 games. Meanwhile, that's, that same that's a season... That's good record. It's good reason, yeah, 17 if league goals. If this is Guy Wettingham yeah. again, we've had yeah. it. 93-94 season, yeah, yeah, good record, yeah. Mark Bright's getting 19 league goals for Sheffield Wednesday. Ah, huh? Two more. Doesn't even get nominated. <laughs> and here's another mad thing about the Blonde d'Or and why it's such a waste of time and means ultimately nothing in the early 90s. That that year, that uh, 94, Baggio's Blonde d'Or runner-up. In fourth place, Thomas Brolin, right? And you're thinking, well, this is Thomas Brolin in his, in his pomp, right? Surely. He's banging him in for Palmer. Five yeah. league goals. Five league goals? Five league goals. And uh, Thomas Broly never really, he never kicked on at all, really. If you have a look at his goal record, it is consistently abysmal. You think when he gets to Leeds, it's like, oh, he's kind of, he's fallen off his perch there a little bit. Thomas Broly never once hit double figures in a season in his whole that career. That's phenomenal. This is so, that is gonna, a phenomenal stat. So 1990-91, Serie A, Broly, seven goals. 92, four goals. 93, four goals. Was 94, he a winger? Five I thought he was a midfielder, midfielder forward. Oh, I think he was a forward though, really, wasn't he? He's a forward, isn't he? But he's getting nominated in the Blonde Or. Two places behind that charlatan Baggio. Do you know oh. what? Can I just throw this out as a as a an, as a side thing? Is famous strikers with bad goal scoring records? Yes, yes, yes. I bring you Faustino Aspria. Awful goal scoring record. <laughs> Consistently bad goal scoring record, <laughs> but I think with uh, Asprey, you, you, you kind of remember. Yeah, because they're good goals. Yeah, he scored some big goals. But him and Brolin at Palmer, when they played together, if they, if they did play together at Palmer, that must have been the most underwhelming goal scoring duo. Because you're like, we've got two of the best players in the world. How many goals did they score this season? Twelve. Asprey's <laughs> yeah. goal scoring record at Palmer: twenty five in eighty four. Great. Let's have some revisionism. Then he was brought in to do well at Newcastle. Nine in 48. Blimey. This, this is not good enough. Back to Palmer, <laughs> one in 12. I might extend this to um, the, the Baggio was shit, but also early 90s Palmer was shit. Oh, don't you dare. That was <laughs> my favourite team. No one's scoring any goals. Why have they got this reputation as a great team? They never scored any goals. <laughs> Dad Zola, I bet his goal-scoring record's not up to scratch either. Yeah, that, re- that requires the kind of research I don't have to hand. But, um, no, his goal scoring record was excellent, actually. Let's ignore that. 49-102, really strong. <laughs> so he's not that. even the main striker. <laughs> but he didn't get a blonde or nomination no. that season. Uh, you know, Brolin, 90, I think the reason we all think of Brolin as a great player 
1994, the year of the World Cup, he scores nine goals in 15 games. That All that thought, like, he's just on the biggest stage. He, he got lucky yeah. in a year. Yeah. And you think, oh, he's a great striker. He's not. Michael, do you still stand by Gianfranco Zola? Oh, sorry, do you still stand by <laughs> Roberto Vergia? Uh, uh, yes. I mean, what I will say is I think it's slightly unfair to judge a player like Baggio exclusively on his goal return because he was slightly deeper lying and he was far more creatively influential all over the pitch. It's a bit like sort of judging someone like Zidane on their goal return. Baggio did a lot more than just score okay, goals. So, so to make the argument in the next episode, Scott, you're going to need to go for a different evidence area other than just goals scored. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, fine. I'll, I'll look that up. I just wanted to uh, one tweet I've kept saved in my favourites. For This is from Russell Heaps, who tweeted me to say, I just want to show my solidarity with CJ Skull, read his thoughts on Baggio. I actually think there's something in overrated Italian legends. See also Del Piero and Totti. There we go. Oh. There's more There's more to be mined here. There is more to be mined. Thank you. That Do keep them coming in. a load of shit. <laughs> Hello at quicklykevin.com. Send them in. Shall we have the electronic post bag? I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic post bag. You've got mail. So, we've got loads of great stuff. Um, to start, I'm very excited to announce. Do you remember we were discussing Kenilworth Road and the turnstile going in through the house? Yes. Well, I've got very good news for you, because someone has sent us that the house next to the turnstile is currently on the market. Oh, wow. (laughs) Here is the listing from primelocation.com. It's a quarter of a million pounds. Interestingly, so it's it's a four-bed house next to... Interestingly, we've been told uh, by this person that in 2024, they are planning to move to a ground next to the train station. So is this a good time or a bad time to invest (laughs) in a house... On Oak Road, part of Kenilworth Road. I, oh, I'm dead. oh, have they got the floor plan? They have got a floor plan. Yes. So, because um, on the pictures, we'll obviously put the link to this on our Twitter. On the pictures, you can see there's a floor above the turnstile. So my question was always, is that a real floor above the turnstile? Or is it a fake window? You can see on the floor plan, there is a bedroom that extends above the turnstile. Oh, so it's extra bit of that next An door extra house. Bit. It, yeah, it goes yeah. above the turnstile. Would you like to live there? If 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 that was West Ham's ground, Skull. Yeah, I suppose it would be quite easy to get out of games. You don't have you wouldn't have to leave you have early. People pissing on your doorstep the whole time, wouldn't you? Yeah. Would you like to live there, Michael? If it was a, a ground you wanted to go to, I, I wouldn't unless it was like Leighton Orient, where I had a free view of the pitch. I think there's absolutely no benefit of having your house right next to the ground. All of the noise, like every single match day, all of that carnage, and you don't get a view of the pitch, what's the point? You might as well live two streets over, which is equally as convenient in terms of logistics, but none of the hassle, so no, I I wouldn't. Do you think you get free tickets like people who live near Alton Towers? You know, Swind- uh, Ivo Graham, friend of the show, Swindon fan. Swindon will soon play Leighton Orient at Leighton Orient. And I said to him, you need to get the flats. He said, I'm not interested. I'd rather sit with the away fans. Are you mad? The opportunity to watch a game from a flat. Oh, You've got yeah, to be I'd taking that. that up. You've got to be taking that opportunity. I think we should go to that game and just get a banner, unfurl a banner. Oh. Uh, <laughs> mugging off Ivo. <laughs> uh, now, another thing we discussed was the Coronation Street episode based on the France 98 final. Yeah. We've got, um, do I remember this right? 
Do I remember this right? Do I remember this right? Do I remember this right? Do I remember this right? Do I remember this right? Right. Your Do I Remember This Right on France 98 Coronation Sip episode, he's got a Do I Remember This Right on that, which is, I distinctly remember the camera panning onto Rivaldo and Vera commenting, he looks like Gary Wilmot. <laughs> <laughs> um, a very nice reference, as doubt many QK ref- uh, listeners will know he is. I managed to find a tweet, so at least someone else remembers it. So it is true that Amazing. in the Coronation Street special... So do you think that's a bored scriptwriter who's always thought Rivaldo looks like Gary Wilmot? <laughs> now, if you've got any more correspondence, this is how to get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Now we've got a first watch along of the series. We're joined by... Uh, Ben Clark, who previously uh, was here for the Bobby Comover incident, um, <laughs> um, and we to discuss two amazing documentaries: one on Barnet, one on Wimbledon. Uh, if you want a fifteen-minute extended version of this, it's available on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin, where there's loads of other extras on there. It's all there for you to see. But here is Ben Clark. We're here to talk about two documentaries. For the London programme, we've got a double header. Barnet in the early 90s with Barry Fryer, but firstly, Wimbledon in the mid-90s, headed up by Joe Kinnear, Vinnie Jones's captain, and here to discuss all this with us, Pappy's own, our own, Ben Clark is here. Hello. How are we doing, We've guys? made you watch some weird shit for this show. Now, oh, I, I, it was an absolute joy, I'm going to be honest with you. Did you enjoy both of them? I love them. Yeah. I really... They flew by. Yeah. What about you two? Did you enjoy it? Oh, God, yes. So good. <laughs> you know you know, it's good when uh, you finish watching a documentary and then you spend... Say you've spent half an hour watching a documentary and then you spend two hours researching stuff you've seen because you're just yeah. like, I need to know more about that. So shall we just say what they are to start with? They were the kind of... They're two... I didn't know this program existed, but... They're two half-hour documentaries for a strand called The London Programme, which was astonishingly hosted by Trevor Phillips, who went on to be the chair for racial equality and quite a kind of controversial political figure in his later life. There's lots of weird things that he's done in this documentary. There's one thing in particular where he's at Selhurst Park and he begins doing a bit of a voiceover as the camera slowly pans in. But the camera's panning in from so far away, you're thinking... Trevor Phillips can't possibly be at the end of this focus delivering this line. Yeah. Yeah. The focus is over like three minutes. Totally. I, I had no idea. I was like, what am I, what am I supposed to be looking at here? What am I zooming in on? And then you just catch sight of him. It doesn't even go close enough. You catch sight of him and then they cut. Surely the chair for racial equality isn't going to be at the end of this three-minute zoom into a corner of Selhurst Park. It's like, a fucking, it's like watching a, a Where's Wallet. <laughs> you can't even see Trevor Phillips until the last 20 seconds of the three-minute zoom. I yeah. thought I was doing a magic eye photo. I think I, I thought it's just... I'd started to look beyond the screen and then I was like, I can see him. There's, a, there's enough time in the zoom for me to start analysing the sound quality, thinking... Well, that doesn't sound like he's recording this voiceover in a studio. 
So maybe he is he, he's in Selhurst Park somewhere, and sure enough... You think he was stood next to the camera, and the cameraman's trying to pick him out. The cameraman can't find him, and he's stood it's behind astonishing, him. It's astonishing, isn't it? I would say it's the most astonishing piece of cinematography I have ever seen, and I, I've seen The Revenant. It's, it's better than the tracking shot in Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you know, you say it's interesting that you pull that up because I've made a note of the tracking shot in Goodfellas because <laughs> I think uh, the first 30 minutes of the Barnet episode is probably the most impactful opening since I watched Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> it grabs you by the lapels like I've never known. A, a documentary that's only 27 minutes long. My, my, my favourite line in the whole Barnet documentary, and we will get onto it, You've got like 25 minutes of this is the worst things I've ever heard going on at a football club. And then the narrator delivers the line 25 minutes in, things go from bad to worse. Yes. And you're like, how? Yeah. Like short of someone getting murdered. How can this possibly get worse? Shall we start with the Wimbledon doc? Because obviously with these watch-alongs, I realise that the catchphrase of them is, we'll get onto that. (laughs) (laughs) So what this was, was a strand of like half hour local documentaries. Judging by the title sequence, it covers all kinds of things. It's just these are the two that happen to be about football clubs. Yes. And these, like, obviously London is such a big area that Wimbledon Football Club is such a minor thing that it feels there's a need for a documentary about it as like a a local quirk. Rather than if they'd been where I grew up, they'd have been the main story on the news every night. Yeah. Yeah, like, totally. big city Josh that's what you get that's what you get well I I always felt I don't know what you had when you were growing up Skull. did you have local London news I always felt people who grew up in London have been slightly cheated on local news <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, know why they do regional news in London because it's just the main news yeah all the London news in sports news it, it was delivered by Matt Lorenzo friend of the show obviously he was the, vo- he was the voice of uh, my early sporting life but you're right, yeah, you did. You got like England games, because they would be happening. We didn't have famous people doing our local news in Devon. And then when I moved to Manchester and I turned on the TV, I cannot tell you how exciting it was when I saw that their local news was hosted by Gordon Burns from the Krypton Factor. <laughs> <laughs> and it was probably in colour. That probably blew your mind as well. Oh, yeah, very nice. But it was absolutely so thrilling. I think if you lived in Portsmouth, you got Fred Dynage from How yeah, To yeah, as well. I remember that. I remember going on a holiday once. Oh, you would have South had that, Michael. Yeah, we had Fred Dynage. He was the local superstar, Fred Dynage. Well, just, just speaking of this strand, um, I sort of did some some deep diving into yes, what the other what episodes were Great. about and what they would be called, because obviously there's these two football ones, but I think some weeks it was like political, some weeks it was cultural. Some, mm-hmm. some of the episode titles are, f- are fantastic. They just normally call things like bootleggers stalkers but two of my favorites were uh, death by lorry uh, <laughs> <laughs> this one uh, garages putting lives at risk oh wow. so so i think some weeks they were really scraping the barrel in terms of content because they're obviously churning these out like was, every single was week. death by lorry did they just play duel <laughs> <laughs> um, so we should start with the Wimbledon one, which is less exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. But I don't think I've ever seen anything as exciting as the um, as the Barnet documentary, which yeah. packed so much in. 
It's which we will get on to. We minute. will. Yeah, which we will get on to. <laughs> we simply must get on to it. We <laughs> simply must get on to that. Um, the, <laughs> the Wimbledon one. Yeah, it starts with the players having... They're, they're playing Real Madrid away in some tournament, and it starts on with... On a Monday. On a Monday. During and the season. Spanish photographers come down to take a picture of the Wimbledon team, yeah. and they all get their bums out. That's the first yeah. thing that happens in this documentary. Yeah. And I thought, the Mooney really is an, the equivalent of Wimbledon, isn't it? They are the they are like a footballing embodiment footballing of a Mooney, of the, yeah. Base, at toilet humor. It's also like a, it's like the nineties for me. It's the Mooney. I think like started and ended in the nineties. Yeah, if there was a nineties time capsule, You'd the Mooney would be in there. I I would be appalled if someone did a Mooney now. Someone I was friends with. I was. If I was on a night out with someone and they were at the bar and they turned around and did the Mooney, I'd be fucking appalled. It's a good job this is an audio format because I've been doing... I'm on my 13th Mooney. When was the last time everybody did a Mooney? I don't think I've ever done a Mooney. I'm not a fan. You've done a Mooney? I mean, you've got to have done a Mooney at some point, mate. I don't think I've ever done a Mooney. I'm into a slightly different kind of (laughs) humour. Have you done a Mooney? My one, my first and only ever Mooney. Twelve or thirteen years old, and we used to play football. Our, our football pitch was next to a railway track on the Isle of Wight, and one of the forfeits, if you lost headers and volleys, was that you had to get up on the fence that connected the railway track. And when the train came along, you had to do a Mooney at the train, and I and I lost one time, so I got up and do it. It was quite like precarious, not in terms of like hitting the track, but just sort of getting and balancing on top of the fence. And you can see the train coming from quite a way off. And as it approached, I sort of pulled my trousers down to turn around to Mooney. But then I half sort of stumbled. And in the process of like restabling myself, I span round and my trousers fell down. And I basically ended up doing, I guess you'd call it like a front, a fronty? <laughs> a sunny. Like a sunny. But my, my auntie and my sister were on that train. So I basically flashed... I flashed my prepubescent <laughs> genitalia at my auntie and my sister. So I've never, ne- never tried a Mooney again. Was this an episode of Miranda or was this the real life? Like, how do you get a Mooney so wrong? It's so, a Mooney is so simple. You've got it like 180 degrees wrong. No, no, no. But you're, you're on top of a seven foot like chain link fence gripping onto a pillar, which is shorter than you are. Show me someone that can Mooney at that level and I'll show you a liar. I'll show you Dean Soldsworth. Show you Robbie Earl. Um, so it's quite a weird documentary because it starts with the Mooney and you think, here we fucking go. And then it keeps saying, uh, we've got behind access, behind the scenes access to Wimbledon. But it, it's still saying that seven minutes in and we've currently just seen them talking about Wimbledon FC with no behind the scenes access except... A, a two-second shot of the Moonies. Yeah, but that's what they meant by behind-the-scenes access. They were talking about the Mooney. <laughs> and it, it is an exclusive. No one else got that. There's an amazing... They show the Mooney twice. They show it later as well. And it's a group shot in Spain. And the second time, you see the, the kind of the fallout of the Mooney as well. <laughs> Hold on. What I've came just, out? Do you know what? I've just realised. My notes are half about the Mooney and half about Dean Holdsworth's stag do. My other note on the Mooney is, do you hear what Vinnie Jones says after the Mooney? What does he say? That Did you get my piles in that? Oh, yes. oh yeah. <laughs> I, just, I thought good banter, fair play. 
well, that, that that is the literal fallout. <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem with the so what's interesting about the Mooney is it's a group <laughs> shot including manager Joe Kinnear, and as as they go to do the Mooney, Kinnear just walks. Like he goes, because he, he's almost like he doesn't want to be in the shot with the moon <laughs> for fear it'll undermine his role at the club. The moment he, he doesn't try and stop it, he just the moment he sees the moon he's about to happen, well, he course, just walks. That was the moment he famously lost the dressing room, wasn't it? He <laughs> he's not one of us. It does create a good image of Wimbledon in the early 90s, this documentary. I would advise anyone to watch both these documentaries. They're on YouTube. The most interesting character in the Wimbledon one, is Sam Hammam, the the owner. Until you meet the owner of Barnet, then you see a real interesting yeah. owner. But there's some nice details. So they talk about when Wimbledon was so violent that the Kuwait team walked off the pitch in a pre-season <laughs> friendly. And then Sam Hammam says, next time maybe they want to play our ladies team. Yeah. Gear yeah. now. Uh, yeah. yeah. Different time. Different time. Yeah. <laughs> different time. And then it's quite kind of Wimbledon by numbers. There's a discussion of the fact they've got a ghetto blaster in their dressing room. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the most first exciting thing that happens is they do a concealed camera of a dress of, of the halftime dressing room in a game v Hereford. It's a very strange documentary where they've got access to games against just Hereford and Real Madrid. They're the only two <laughs> opponents they've got access to. <laughs> Hereford in the cup. And a pre-season, a mid-season friendly against Real Madrid. Also, the highlights of both games look of the same quality as the match. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. What did you think of the concealed camera uh, team talk? It was weird because it. I thought at first they've the Joe Kinnear doesn't know this camera's there because you can see it's like they've stuck it under the bench and you can see someone's foot in the bang in the middle of the frame. You're like. Joe Kinnear clearly doesn't know there's a camera there. There's a bit of voiceover they kind of acknowledge the fact that someone does know there's a camera there. Yeah, they haven't done it against the club's wishes, yeah. have they? But you get a wonderful line from Joe Kinnear, which is written, written down. He's, he points at someone in the dressing room and says, you fucking shit yourself, bollocks, and then walks off. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also made a note at one point he goes, fucking disgraceful, you can see this a goal to these fucking mugs. And then the voiceover comes in and goes, Joe Kinnear can see room for improvement. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a very BBC spin on that comment. Yeah. Well, what, what blew my mind was that halftime chat was, I think they were 3-0 up at that point. They were 3-0 up at that like, point, yeah. What, what's the chat like if they're 3-0 down? <laughs> like, it's such a bizarre managerial style. How, where do you go with that? You're right. Because <laughs> yeah. when does that stop becoming effective? If you're doing that at 3-0 up. If you're 3-0 up and you're trudging back into the dressing room thinking, oh, this is going to be fucking horrible for the next. <laughs> yeah. But the manager's not so happy. We placed a concealed camera in the dressing room with the club's permission. You fucking didn't do fucking one thing right, you up, right back, Scott. Push in, I'm showing! He singles out one player for not showing Wimbledon's usual level of aggressive commitment. Fucking touch of shit. You've got the freedom at the party, you're going to fucking plunge. Fucking shit yourself. It's fucking everything. Do you think those team talks still happen? Mm, no, I don't think I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe maybe in the lower league. Maybe, you know. Because I think um, Sam Haman says something really interesting about the Wimbledon's 
the Wimbledon spirit. It's like he talks about it like in terms of the brand. He was like, we want to be different. It was almost like it was it was calculated. Like the whole thing yeah. feels calculated yeah. in a way that you thought. I kind of thought that the Wimbledon crazy gang stuff happened organically, but it was like it was almost like a brand thing. But then the brand becomes you know it filters into the dressing room and somehow joking here having a go at them and the way they are with each other it all just feels kind of a bit natural i don't know it just feels right for wimbledon that joking here would think be talking it feels like real that. anymore yeah is it is it, it's how a lot of people felt about the kings of leon you're like how how for real, how is, real this? is this <laughs> how real is how this on fire is this set <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what as well? It like speaking of the crazy gang brand, like I do remember Wimbledon playing at Selfridge at Selhurst Park in the Selfridges. Uh, yeah, Selfridges. <laughs> <laughs> you see that that's not on yeah. that's not and that wasn't on brand. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I should at least done like M and S, right? Yeah. You there's can't a, moon in Selfridges. There's a, uh, they show Selhurst Park and there's the, they've got the billboards that say the crazy gang, like. And I've always like, even when I was a kid in the nineties, I was like, "What are they advertising there?" Like, it just says the Crazy Gang on those billboards. Yeah. Like, what that 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 smacks of giving yourself your own nickname yeah, on the does. first day of yeah. school. Yeah, it's it like, really "Oh, my does. mates call me, my mates call me Nutter." It's like, I don't think <laughs> they do, you know, mate. That, yeah. that goes hand in hand with the Mooney. It goes absolutely <laughs> hand in hand with the Mooney. Do you think they never wanted to do the Mooney, and so her man's like, "Do it. It's for the brand." <laughs> The brand, the whole thing is uh, fake. Do, do you think you'd have enjoyed life at Wimbledon? I can't imagine anything worse. No, no. no. Oh, I think the main thing is Finney Jones clearly is the ringleader of this. He's like yeah. that guy in high school or any school that you went to that is the hardest kid in school. Is clearly got some some baggage and some issues, but you're too afraid to front yeah. up to it so you just have yeah. to go along with it and I think there's probably a lot of players at Wimbledon over the years who felt the same way like you know Fashionu was meant to be hard and he was trouble on the pitch but you don't get the impression that Fashionu was really that much trouble behind the scenes but uh, Dean Holdsworth um, stagged it which I'm sure we'll come to properly but <laughs> he sort of he monopolizes it and makes it about him yeah, a, a, yeah. it's a sort of reference Goodfellas again it's like a, a gangster an old gangster that everyone has to slightly defer to because you're worried that he's going to kill you in the parking lot if yeah, you don't can you imagine? it's like I'm funny how it's totally yeah. how he's how he's how his banter is Finney Jones the, the ringleader of the crazy gang who went on to be a noted actor well, he's that's, pretending that would, that, oh yeah <laughs> he's well that's the problem imagine you've put up with him for five years he's ruined your life in the dressing room you're a shell and then suddenly you both retire. He becomes a fucking famous Hollywood actor. You're like, come on now. That's not fair. <laughs> um, can I just add to the fact that they're the kid in school who does a Mooney. Did you notice at one point when they're on the tour bus in Spain, two of them are playing Knuckles? Yes. <laughs> no, I, I didn't notice it. that. Yeah. yeah, I've not seen Knuckles since I was at school. <laughs> Billy Jones <laughs> running up and down the bus. Like, pick a number, pick a colour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not even slaps, knuckles. No, like no, they're... Knuckles, they're playing oh. knuckles for entertainment. No, you're in Spain. Smell my cheese. <laughs> when they do, I, when they do the Real Madrid, I don't quite get why they're playing Real Madrid away in a friendly because it says that it's because Real Madrid want to understand their secret or something, but it doesn't really make any sense. But John Fashion, who describes it as he's describing the journey they've come on from non-league, and he goes, and here we are playing. 
almost in Europe. As if he thinks that almost counts that they've qualified for Europe, that they've got a friendly <laughs> away to Real Madrid. Just because they're curious. It's it's such a weird dock, because the three bits of access they've got are Hereford, Real Madrid, and Dean Holdsworth, Stag Do and Wedding. Um, every time the phrase Dean Holdsworth, Stag Do is used so far on this podcast, I've laughed, and I can't <laughs> see that ever ending. Well, should we discuss Dean Holdsworth, Stag Do, rather than just say, I think we'll come to it. The, the number one thing I want to talk about Dean Holdsworth stag do, and I've been so excited to bring this up. Did you spot the celeb on the stag do? No. Oh, yes. Oh, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Right. Hang on. Let me, uh, I'm going to quickly send a text of the picture. I'm convinced there is. Was a- it Patricia Routledge? Sir <laughs> so Lawrence Olivier. Knows <laughs> Vinnie Jones from acting school. <laughs> Here we go. This is so up all of your streets. It is unbelievable. I've just sent it through. The celebrity on the stag do sat next to Vinnie Jones. Oh, no Lamar way. Lamar. Mark Lamar was on the Mark stag Lamar. do. No way. Mark Lamar was what? on the stag do. What? What's he doing there? <laughs> what the? <laughs> That's such an unlikely. I wouldn't have guessed that in a million years. No, I was thinking it was going to be like Paul Denan. Do you know what I mean? Or like... Mark Lamar. Mark Lamar, in the, Mark Lamar was in the crazy gang and we didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Why was Mark Lamar and Dean Holdsworth? Mark stag- Lamar, the panel show enforcer. <laughs> yeah. Also, a man who prides himself on his kind of, like, his exquisite taste. <laughs> like, what, what music of Dean Holdsworth and Mark Lamar got in common. Yeah, you what, what, what are you putting on the in on the dressing room master blaster there, Mark <laughs> Lamar? <laughs> I think I do think though, if Dean started, if Dean Holdsworth invites you on his tag do, you go in. You just gotta see what's gonna happen there. Although I did it looked like everyone was there under duress when when <laughs> yeah. when Vinny was when Vinny was like making the speech and being like, I'm the best man now. Everyone just looked so gutted to be there. Yeah, it looked awful. It looked like a terrible stag do. Um, as well, what Mark Lamar. Mark Lam- was just quickly. Mark Lamar's on the top table. He sat next to Dean Holzer and Vinnie Jones. He's right at the top. Do you think he's a? Do you think he's a guest of Vinnie? I didn't even think Mark Lamar liked football. <laughs> just a Maybe question. He was just in the Watford Burger Bar, that uh, Dean Holzer's having his stag do. He got roped in. <laughs> They've rented him. You, you probably know, like... don't know who he is. <laughs> Do I remember this guy with funny hair? Vinny Jones has wedged him, dragged him to the table. Yeah, so people will hire the Wheelstone Raider to go on their stag do. Maybe maybe Dean Holdsworth hired Mark Lamar, but he was not. It's like a cameo thing. You hire hire Mark Lamar, you get handcuffed at Mark Lamar for the night. <laughs> Yeah, did you not see Phil Jupiter's in the Barnet one? <laughs> um, but what confuses me about this stag do, right, is what, what year is this? 93? 94 max, okay? Hmm. I've just gone on Dean Holdsworth's Wikipedia. He only signed for Wimbledon in 1992. Has he not got longer serving friends than Vinny? Do you know what oh, I mean? No. Like, if, if I went on someone's stag do and the main people, because John Scales is his best man as well. Has Dean Holdsworth got no friends until he gets to Wimbledon? Surely. Or is it like when you join a cult and you have to drop all your, all of your old friends except Mark Lamar? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's weird. Also, that Sam Herman and Joe Kinnear at the wedding. 
which I found a bit. I do you know intense. what? I, I liked that. I did like that aspect because you do feel like you're like I kind of wanted them to be a proper family together, and that that Joe Kinnear and Sahan Man would be invited to the wedding. I did enjoy that aspect because you're like maybe it isn't fake. Which table do you think Lamar was on? <laughs> <laughs> um, also, my main memory of Dean Holdsworth's love life is that he went out with Lindsay Dawn McKenzie, the page three yeah. model. Post this wedding. Well, obviously, so so the moment it wasn't Lindsay Dawn McKenzie, I thought, well, this doesn't last. <laughs> <laughs> it goes the same way as the football club Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah exactly. Nothing's a success. Did you enjoy this documentary? Oh, I did love it. It was a lovely, fascinating... Also, like, I just really enjoyed hearing Sam Haman. I haven't heard him speak much. And it was just yeah. nice to get you wrap your head around the brand a bit more. And I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, he, like, he was amazing. Like, that stuff of, like... Like, he's, he thinks he's operating on, like, a higher level where he's like, we just play at Selhurst Park. Everyone else is spending loads, millions on stadiums, and we just play in someone else's, and we get there for free. It's got the same energy as like your mate who's like approaching thirties. Like, I still live with my parents. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I just live in their house. I don't need my own. But he must, he must be paying rent to play it. So they don't let them play there yeah, for but that's free. It. It's like, come on. Yeah, there's got to be. It's got to be a reason why Crystal Palace are letting you play there. One final note I've got here. There's a little clip of Vinnie Jones cutting his toenails in the most aggressive way I've ever seen someone cut their toenails. In the same way you see a farmer clipping a, a cow's hooves. Like he's a, <laughs> like almost you're like you're 10% away from chopping off your toes. He's going on and it, it's disgusting. And the cameraman zoomed into within an inch of his foot as he's doing it. <laughs> Vinnie Jones. Well, yeah, but disgusting. the uh, cameraman zooming in, he does start like outside the bin- <laughs> building. It's such a slow bush. Um, did you enjoy it, Michael? Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was these sort of time capsules of 90s football are. Uh always amazing i mean a few little things that i really enjoyed kind of minor details was um the uh friendly with madrid which i did a bit of research and it was uh it was a three tournament uh three team tournament and they only played 45 minutes each game and, and i and i think they might have played it all on one night like a sort of like round right. robin type thing they only played a half but my favorite detail of that whole thing was uh dean's Hol- dean holdworth obviously wasn't going to be there because he was supposed to be on his honeymoon and at the last minute, he's decided to go. And they, they clearly haven't brought his shirt with him. So he has oh, to yeah. wear someone else's shirt. And they've just sort of gaffer taped the name yeah. over the back. And it's it's already peeling off. But the, the state of their kits kind of blew my mind. Like All of the numbers and the names were eroding away. Like it was a kind of under 12s where the manager's wife had been washing the kits for like three years. And they had just degraded. And But it really made me sort of respect Sam Haman as a kind of He's a very shrewd operator. Yeah. Like yeah. the fact that they not only did that, but then they operated at that that level is kind of mind blowing. The fact yeah. that their gate their gates weren't even covering the sort of operating costs of that football club. Did you um do you want to hear another thing about Dean Holsworth? Yes, please. Um <laughs> he uh so they the used answer to answer to that question is never gonna be no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with a boring thing which is that I went on his Wikipedia to see whether he's married. His goal-scoring record is... Was it points, mate? This is... So he played for Brentford before Wimbledon. In the 89-90 season, he scored 24 goals in 39 games, which is amazing. Following season, 
Five goals in 30 games. What a transformation. And then back up to 24 goals in 41 games. What an off season. Yeah. <laughs> and then he went to Wimbledon in the Premier League. Uh, he scored 19 goals in 34 games in his first year in the Premier League, which is a phenomenal yeah, return. Yeah, that's great. So at first I thought, well, that's, that, it was quite slight, the Wimbledon dock. The Barnet one is the opposite. Michael, can we play the first 30 seconds oh, of the yes. Barnet one here? Because it's just... Shall I play it in? Just yes. so we can hear the drama. Barnet Football Club should be over the moon. They're riding high in the league, set for promotion, and pulling in the punters. Yet, in the past few days, their manager has resigned. Both the Inland Revenue and the police have been knocking at their door. And their flamboyant former chairman, Stan Flashman, has gone into hiding. He's always been a hard man to get an answer from anyway. How are you, please? Faint and greasy. Right, well, can you cough? So why has Barnet become London's most controversial football club? Such an exciting setup to the documentary. It's a great theme tune as well, we should just say. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, really, it's, it's, it's an it's absolute a banger. banger. Yeah, it's a really great theme tune. I've never known a football doc. Normally these football documentaries have very little to go on, but you love the detail. This is all drama. Yeah. yeah. It's like nothing I've ever seen. No, I, I can't believe I didn't know more about this. No, that's it. Well, I looked up at Stan Flashman. <laughs> oh, yeah. about, what a name as well. And he's just got the... I went to like three different sites to try and get details on him, and it's just the exact same. It's just a paragraph. Well, he's described in the in the documentary as... 21 stone, self-styled king of the ticket touts. They, I really feel that they, they rub in the fact he's 21 stone in this documentary. He's, he, he he's almost always described now. as 21 stone, yeah, Stan Flashman. Not, yeah. <laughs> Fat shaving. I, I, you know, yeah. 15 and a half stone Ben Clark does not approve. <laughs> <laughs> There's enough in the documentary about Stan Flashman to not need the extra detail. Do you know what I mean? He's an interesting yeah. enough character as it yeah, is. Yeah, and, and also, it's a visual documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can all see. So Stan Flashman is the owner of Barnet. He's a ticket tout. So did you not find his... I found his Guardian obituary. Oh. Ooh. Can I add, I did check he was dead, because he does seem like a scary character. And on one hand, I was like, doing this podcast and potentially slagging him off, I don't really fancy meeting Stan Flashman face-to-face. There's yes, that. but then he died in 1999. He he was a ticket tout. That was how he made his money. He called himself yeah, he calls himself the king of the ticket touts. He claimed that he could get tickets for this is a quote from him. I can get tickets for anything, including the Queen's Garden parties. Amazing. Is that big on the ticket tout scene? <laughs> I kind of I've never heard someone go, lads. You wouldn't believe the tickets I've got for. <laughs> For my stag do, I thought we could go. I've oh, got Mark Lamar and we're going to the garden. <laughs> I've called Flashman, he's sorted it, he's got it. Do you know when Stan, another Stan Flashman quote I loved? When he bought uh, Barnet, he said he was going to build a football dynasty that would rival AC Milan. Why say that? <laughs> the fan base simply isn't there. Although they've got they've got in the uh, opening thing they say um, uh, regularly watched by more people than the Premier League's Wimbledon and it's like <laughs> hold on we just heard in the previous documentary they only get two thousand people <laughs> regularly watched by at least two thousand and one people 
It's, it was a, it's a very similar to the the classic. It was actually warmer in England this week than it was in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah but you, you've kind of massaged the statistics because you've just chosen one comparable. Yeah. I suppose there is an argument, Ben, that the documentaries weren't intended as, as companion pieces <laughs> in the way that we've watched them. Um, some details. I know we've discussed him on the podcast before. This further emphasises for me that Barry Fry is one of the great football managers because it's a shambles and they're still top of the league. Yeah. yeah. It is, it, it, it's absolutely mad that they keep winning games with what is going on. So, so do you want to talk us through what's ha- what, what is going on, Skull? So Barnet uh, have come up from the long league and I think you know it's worth really drilling into that point. Barry Fry is doing a terrific job. He's got them up to now what is the old League Two, and they're on the verge of getting promoted to League One. The fans are delighted with what Barry Fry is doing, but the fans are also hating the chairman, Dan Flashman. And on one hand, I was like, well, how can they be hating him? Because they, he's obviously done a terrific job. They've gone up through the leagues. But then you hear quotes from the chairman, including, fans don't matter to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he, he hates the fans. And then he's not paying the players he doesn't appear to be paying the staff. Barry Fry is doing an excellent job of being a go-between. He's Barry Fry is more or less single-handedly keeping the show on the road. He's really massaging the tensions with the players. And the players all love him as well. And one thing is that I thought about the Barry Fry you see in here is actually different to the Barry Fry you see when he's at Peterborough later on in the 90s. This is quite a mature Barry Fry and almost a muted Barry Fry. He seems a bit, you know, he's cut just the way he did, he talks and that he's really, I wouldn't say low energy, but he's he's really kind of considered here. He's a different Barry Fry altogether. But the documentary yeah. follows them as Barry Fry attempts to get the players paid and, and see their last few games of the season as they attempt to get promoted to League One. Have you covered the fact that Barry Fry has been sacked at the start of this documentary six times already by Stan <laughs> And by the end, he's been sacked seven times. But I think we asked Barry Fry about this when he did our live show in Hackney Empire. And Barry Fry would say he would sack it, Stan Flashman would sack him, and then he'd just turn up for work the next day and they'd both carry on like nothing happened. Oh, really? Like George, George Costanza? If only I'd have known that in the 90s when I was working in McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> um... I think Barry Fry comes out of it brilliantly. The whole thing is such a shambles. There's the implication that... So the players haven't been paid. You see the t- squad who, to a man, look... All of them look mid-40s. <laughs> <laughs> and their, their training kit is... They've all brought their own training kit. And none of it matters. They look like they're on a French exchange. Like <laughs> It's so bad. Like, so... Amateurish. Yeah. Barry Fry also says that he once got arrested on Christmas night because he was driving a tractor across the underhill pitch to flatten it for the game the next day. That sounds <laughs> like he was drunk and he nicked a tractor. <laughs> yeah, 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 it does. It's, uh, it definitely sounds like that. Um, there's another fascinating detail quite early on. Barry Fry reveals that he had a testimonial match, I think with Barnett maybe, and he said he got George Best to come out and play for this testimonial. And then afterwards, Stan Flashman kept all the money. Get like for his testimony, we just kept it all. It's bizarre. It's so bad. And another detail, I know we're just repeating details, but they're all so mad, is that there's a secretary who's got sacked, and then she found out later that the way finances work, she was actually paying to work there. She was losing money on each (laughs) shift. 
the, the chairman is so tight that they play they're a big six-pointer. I think it's first v second in League Two. They're away to Cardiff. And the chairman is so tight, he won't pay for them to stay in Cardiff the night before the game. So they're forced to do it like a, what was it, two and a half, three hour journey on the morning of the game. And the players all agree together that they'll pay to stay there the night before. But when it comes to the day of the game, they realise they haven't been paid. So not only are they like having to pay to stay in this place, the club isn't paying them their wages. It's astonishing, it's isn't it? They're negotiating with Flashman and someone, he threatens them with violence. He threatens he's going to break their legs and stuff. <laughs> yeah, he phones his son. Barry Fry's like, I wouldn't have minded. Because he said this kind of stuff to me before, but it came via my son. He rang his son and was like, it was a very weird threat. He was like, you wouldn't have any legs anymore. Barry Fry is really interesting. He takes he takes on the role of trying to mediate between the chairman, the players, everyone else. And there's a bit yeah. where he he takes the squad to the chairman's house, Stan Flashman's house. He knocks on the door. There's a moment of tension. The door opens. Barry Fry walks in, but just as he walks in, he turns back to the the, the squad and says, uh, "I think I might come out of here in a box." And then walks in. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. The great thing about well, one, the bit that really just made me laugh is so they haven't been paid in two weeks and the players are all kicking off. Barry Fry is trying to mediate this whole disaster and it really gets really fractious between the players and the chairman. He's kind of slagging off the, the, the chairman, slagging off the players. It, it kind of it starts coming to a head where it seems like they're going to get paid. The PFA said they're going to pay them and the chairman decides the players have been so bad about this whole thing, he's going to fine them two weeks' wages. So we'll call it a draw. <laughs> what? <laughs> So he just basically goes, yeah, so we're all square, right? <laughs> oh, it's so good. What did you think of it, Michael? I mean, it's just mad. There's a there's a 10-part Netflix documentary, I think, about this period yeah. in Barnett's history. I mean, we haven't even covered the fact that uh, Barry Fry said he remortgaged his house yeah. in order to like buy the clubhouse back for like £100,000 so that the club could start making money. Why doesn't Barry Fry... Well, he does, but it feels like, why is he still there? There's that moment where, um, I mean, he sort of implies that Flashman has f- faked having a stroke yeah, in yeah. order to like get out of these commitments with player wages. So he's on the phone to him and he says, you know, he's in hospital and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to sort this out the next day. So Barry goes to tell the players again. And you can tell this is a back and forth that happens all the time. Sort of Barry Fry acting as a middleman. And he tells them uh, <laughs> Flashman's fallen ill and then all the players just start laughing like, they <laughs> clearly do not give a shit about this guy I mean, even though he's 21 stone so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say chris touched on it sort of the the difference in personality with barry fry here you know he's he's completely kind of dejected but i think he thinks or at least he, i think he knows that this program is going to get him sacked for good because he he all but accuses Flashman of fraud. You know, he's talking about the kind of like the gate receipts and money that's coming into the club and no one knows where it's going. And he's like, you know, it's going somewhere and then may as well point at a picture of, of Flashman. So I think he knows probably the time for the club is up and his time there is up. And this is his chance kind of in the media to, to settle some scores. Yeah, Barry Fry presumably wasn't a famous guy at this point. I mean, I'm not saying he's famous now, but he's famous. He's a He's a notable figure within football now. Yeah. But like, this would have been a lot of people's first exposure to Barry Fry, presumably. I mean, there's, there's a brilliant moment where Flashman tells him, I've, I've sold my stake in uh, the club, I've sold my shares. And they're like, okay, we'll look into this, we'll check with the new board. And like, yeah, he was telling the truth, He's he sold his shares. And then there's a beat. 
but to his wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Barry gets sacked, or does he leave? I can't even he remember. Leaves. The, the, he does get sacked, yeah, he eventually but leaves. then he comes back and then he leaves, yeah. And he goes to South End, which is like two divisions up. So it's like, he's kind of earned his place, hasn't he? I wonder whether what he was doing here was a really... People must have really had lots of respect for him within football. For It's an amazing job. Yeah, yeah. and one thing that really struck me was the players love him. They really love him. One player says he's been like a father figure to him. You can tell like this player, they're emotional about all he's done for them. And you can really see, you forget about that side of Barry Fry where he is actually a real leader of men. Like I watched this and was like, God, you would love to play for Barry Fry, I think. I think he yeah. would really, you, you know, G you up. But is it someone you like? You could end up adoring. I can totally see that. I think what happens with a lot of these football documentaries is they don't have an hour of stuff. This feels like this has got, got ten yeah. weeks of stuff in half an hour. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I could have watched. I could have watched a full Netflix documentary of this. Why is Stan Flashman not more? I also isn't ticket touting. That's illegal, is it? Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. You don't go around calling yourself a drug dealer, do you? <laughs> For one thing that happens in the documentary, so they um, obviously the struggles of Barney are known throughout the footballing world. They go away to play Cardiff. They, they I think they come away with a draw, but afterwards the Cardiff chairman goes into the, the players' uh, dressing room of the, the Barnet dressing room and says, you're a credit to yourselves and you're a credit to football for what you're doing. I appreciate the struggle here. Have a thousand pounds, have a drink on me. And the chairman of Cardiff gives them a grand just because he's heard of their struggles. How brilliant is that? Yeah. I just thought that was such a lovely touch. Yeah, There's also totally. a bit where a fan just turns up in the dressing room and gives them some money as well. Oh man, that's terrible, isn't it? It's like just set up a Patreon, man. Come on. <laughs> Do you think all these Barnet players just hung around because they, they knew at the end of the season they're going to a Queen's Garden party? because they're and they're <laughs> One ticket of your choice. <laughs> There's Gary Bull at the Queen's Garden. They kept going on about Gary Bull. I wanted to check how they kept talking about Gary Bull. They said he was worth 500 grand. Yeah. Which felt like a lot of money to me. Especially given that he looks 50 years old, as we've got touched on. He's so. Oh, he goes on to play for Nottingham Forest. Oh, well. But he doesn't do very well. Mind you, it looks like Barry Fry had him back in he, Birmingham. Yeah, he goes on loan to Birmingham in 1994, which would have been Barry Fry. And yeah. scores six goals in 10 games. Oh, yeah, okay. there you go. So there you go. But Gary Bull is talked about in this as if he's Pele. Oh, he's the cousin of Steve Bull. No. Wow, of course. Yeah. He's back. Do you know was, what? I was going to say, oh, fellow, a fellow bully. Of course, he's a brilliant goal scorer. Unbelievable. You know, I nearly said that. I thought it's, it'd be so lazy to say any relation to Steve Bull. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. It's, just kind of, it's, it's too, too easy. Low hanging fruit. <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed both these documentaries. Yeah, um, great. I, I'd commend it. Like, there's quite a few documentaries you watch, and I would be like, don't bother. But dedicate some time to these two. They're fascinating, especially the Barnet one. It is just wall to wall stuff happening. I mean, I'd say the Wimbledon one out. The Wimbledon one outside of Dean Holdsworth's wedding <laughs> and Stag do had <laughs> very little to offer. The fact Mark Lamar was there is just the absolute highlight of my life. And it's wonderful that we've potentially teed up an episode now. Mark Lamar talking about Dean Holdsworth's Stag do. <laughs> <laughs> We can do an hour on that. Mark, what were you paying to be handcuffed to John Scales for the night? Maybe Dean Holdsworth knows him from back in the day. Childhood friend, Mark Lamar. Childhood friend, Mark 
I would I would love to watch a documentary about Dean Holdsworth and Mark Lamar and the different paths their lives took. But how they always remember but like how they always remained best friends even when they were moving very different. Oh my different god, it's like a, it's like a modern day Blood Brothers. Yeah. Mark Lamar was always always called Dean Holdsworth after a bad episode and never mind the bus cops. And if Dean Holdsworth had a problem on the football pitch, he'd always call Mark Lamar for advice. If you've got any info on my Mark Lamar was on Dean Holdsworth's stag do. <laughs> New regular feature, please. Dean Holdsworth's stag do. Uh, thank you, Ben. Did you enjoy them more or less than the Manchester United documentary? Oh, uh, I think I, I, I really enjoyed that one. They're very different, but I think, yeah, this, this, was, this was just next level stuff. Um, I would recommend everyone to go and uh, watch them. We'll put the will we put the link on somewhere. We'll just yeah. swipe up on our Instagram along with a picture of Dean Holdsworth on on Mark Lamar's tag do. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the real dream, isn't it? Because we end by asking a question: Who would have the worst time, Mark Lamar and Dean Holdsworth's tag do, <laughs> or Dean Holdsworth and Mark Lamar's? I think I think Dean on Mark's is is a do tougher. You? Yeah, I think it's yeah, a tough night. Yeah, he's a proper fish out of water on that, isn't it? <laughs> He's not able to keep up, is he, in I that mean, situation? Unless, I, I can't imagine anyone on Mark Lamar's tag do is doing a Mooney. <laughs> <laughs> Oldsworth misjudges the room as he Moonies in. <laughs> because that's his, like, his, that's the bit of banditry he always got in the locker. And he'll get that out thinking, well, this will blow everyone away. And it actually makes things way worse. <laughs> Mark Lamar's just disgusted. Let's, let's just, we'll just do the one night on the stag do. We'll cancel it. <laughs> Ben, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. That was Ben Clark. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely loved that. Would we like to end with a quiz? Yeah. Yeah? Let's do it. So, we've been sent another quiz. And if you've got a quiz for us, then do send them in. Um, This is a very simple quiz from Dave Mackin. And it's a simple knockout. I'm going to send you a picture. And I want you to tell me uh, intern players. And the one that gets one wrong is out. The picture is the 22 players from the Premier League's launch photo. Oh, that's a good game. If you want to play along at home, this photo is on our Instagram. We'll, we'll have put it up in time. Okay, Skull, begin. Okay, Peter Beardsley, Everton. Peter Beardsley, Everton, correct. Michael? Gordon Strachan at Leeds. Correct. Is that Gordon Jury Spurs? Correct. Uh, Vinnie Jones at Chelsea. Correct. Lee Sharp, Man United. Lee Sharp, Man United. Correct. Mark Wright at Liverpool. Yep. John Salarco, Crystal Palace. Yep. Uh, Hans Sagers at Wimbledon. Yep, correct. Vinnie Jones, Chelsea. We've had that. Oh, sorry. Uh, John Walkipswich. Course, Tim Flowers at Southampton. Yep, we had we had Tim Sherwood Blackburn. No, uh, Andy Sinton. QPR. QPR. Yep. I I'm think, have to rush you. Yeah, I think we might have hit the limit of ones I feel uh, confident about. You give up. Phil Wednesday, David Hurst. Correct. Really? Yep, Michael. Are we, have we had Spurs? Yep, yeah, Gordon Jury. Okay, then I think that's David Hillier next to him in Arsenal. That is, is David Hillier, yeah. No. I couldn't even. Arsenal didn't send a big name. 
I don't know. I can't even guess. I couldn't even throw a name at you. Michael, to win it. Well, I th- I think that's Ian Butterworth with Norwich. but that's... <laughs> I've got no idea. It's the first quiz that's ended with me going, I'm afraid I've got no <laughs> I idea. Thought you, are you not the answers? No. I don't, and I don't know if that is David Hurst. I'm guessing there. No, it is David Hurst. No, right. that's definitely David Hurst. Other options you could have had? Gary Charles of Nottingham Forest, bottom yeah. left. Andy Ritchie, yeah. Oldham. And then uh, Tony Daly of Aston Villa. Oh. We'll put it up on our Instagram. See if you can fill in the blanks that we couldn't get. Uh, neither of you won. So I get to choose the th- song and I'd like to choose the theme tune to, um, what's it called? London the what? London Programme. I was hoping you suggest that. Thank you very much. Uh, we will be back next week um, with a very special episode. Just to be very clear, what we've done, I can't believe we've got him. I DM'd Andreas Bremer. He replied. <laughs> he was not confident enough to do the interview straight in English, but he was happy for us to send him the questions and then record his answers. The sound file has been received today. We've not listened to it. But next week, we will have Andreas Bremer. World Cup winner, Andreas Bremer. Our first ever. We have asked him about Peter (laughs) Shilton. Yes, so Andreas Bremer. It'll be available on Patreon on Friday, along with two Steve Bruce chapters this month with Ivo Graham. So do sign up, patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin, for early access to episodes plus extra content as well. It'll be out next week for everybody else. So until then, Robbie Slater. See you later. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.